this is Dag, and you're listening to Beyond Trek Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to Beyond Trek Podcast. Uh, this is Dag in the house with me today. I've got Renzo and Suzanne, and we're here today to talk to you about the second part of A Moral Star, Prodigy's next mid-season finale. Spoiler they're on hiatus now. The next 10 episodes in the order will be coming out TBD 2022. But that's not a bad thing because we have a ton of Trek coming out over the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned to that. But meanwhile, we are going to dive deep into this latest episode, which I feel really was one of the strongest midseason episodes of any Star Trek, given where we left off with the cliffhanger in the last episode. Yeah, what I was surprised by was that they left off the cliffhanger last episode on a high note. It was the the reveal that the kids had planned for this, that they they had preparations for this, that this wasn't like a, oh no, we've been double-crossed again kind of thing. But yeah, that was a nice, that was an uplifting surprise for me at the end of last episode. Well, and it is a kid's show, and so the kids who are watching it, those Y7s, hi to Vix, look at the, the paw making a guest, yeah. guest appearance. <laughs> As a kid's show, you probably don't want to leave the kids on a on a uh, best of both worlds, right. you know, moment. You you want the kids to go, but what's going to happen? And they'd be like, oh, everything's in control. We'll find out next episode what's going on. So very cool things. And also, like, this episode definitely took me places I didn't think we were going to go last episode. I thought it was just going to be a nice little ribbon tie-up, and we didn't get that. I mean, I'm very happy with what we did get, but let's let's get into the episode so we can navigate our way to there without skipping ahead. 100%. All right, so we open back on the Protostar with the Diviner, like, saying that he that they can't find the Protocore on board, which is pretty significant because it's a large thing to move. Um, it also gave us one neat factoid, uh, which the computer says about an exotic matter particle core which is much more interesting to me than just like it's a sun inside of a core so it may be more than just a fusion reactor maybe i've been overreacting could be what if it's a dark matter star Ooh, I like that. then it wouldn't be able to interact with anything and we wouldn't be able to get power out of it and but murph it, would probably not be able to eat it no murph's fine he's indestructible it's a kid's show we don't have to be real with dark matter we have to be star trek with dark matter True, true. I'm just saying, right? Like, I'm glad that they gave us some Trekno battle to, like, make it less its baby star, because a baby star is not that interesting, generally. One of the things I have a question about. In this scene, we see dark hologram Janeway, and I, I immediately am like, those eyes are way too, like... Did they change the eye color? Yeah. Are, are, Catherine, are, are uh, Kate Mulgrew's eyes brown? Her, her eyes are blue. But they're not that kind of blue, either. Yeah, they're not, they're not the, that like, bright. Okay. Yeah. Okay. They almost look like White Walker eyes, honestly. A little bit, mm -hmm. yeah. They definitely uh, almost um, Vanakat eyes. Like, you can see in one of the True. screenshots here, right next to uh, the Diviner, his eyes are very bright blue, too. Yeah, her skin color is also rather Vanakat, too, now that you mention oh. it. I hadn't really thought about it. Yeah, she's definitely lost the power. It's much more ghostly. 
Yeah, yeah, that's I, what I, I noticed. Yeah, and the black. I didn't lips. notice that it was Vanacott colors. I just, I just thought it was. Oh, this is emo Janeway. These are just like gothy colors for her, <laughs> and very, very serious. But now they mention it, you're right. It is very Vanacott color scheme, and I didn't think of that. I think the reason I noticed it was that um, it's very similar to Gwyn's skin tone a little bit, um, and that's that's kind of why it confused me. It's like, okay, we removed her Starfleet protocols, and suddenly she's just Vanacott, <laughs> Vanacott Janeway. Definitely um, interesting. But yeah, I love I love Goth Janeway. Um, <laughs> I really liked that design. I did love that in this scene we see that Gwyn takes some agency and like uses her bracelet sword to almost stab her dad. Uh, but he's a Vanakot. He gave her the heirloom, so he takes control of it. It's a good it's a good short twist there, but uh, it was good to see her take like agency there and not just be a prisoner. Yeah. Yeah, it was really nice, and I like to see, you know, when she employs that ability of hers that connects her to the heirloom, and then he just smiles and turns it against her. Yeah, I'd love to know more about the Vaunacott's, like, technology and their powers, whatever they may be. I feel like, I feel like it might include a little bit of telepathy, or it probably does <laughs> include quite a bit of telepathy, um... And I'm 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 fascinated to learn more about it. I'm excited to see where that goes because, I mean, obviously we learn more about it here, but um, I really would like to see kind of where that takes us and how much we get to learn about that species specifically. And it's very cool. Yeah, there's also a, 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 an element in this scene where the diviner shows just how much more experienced he is than the kids in the show. As soon as he realizes that. Uh, Gwyn might have been trying to figure something out on him. He tells Dreadnought to change all the access codes to lock out their shields so that they remain up, etc. Smart, right? Because if she's doing something malicious, who knows what else is going on, so just reset all the passwords. Smart. And then the, uh, the scene ends with uh, the Diviner telling Dreadnought to reactivate all the Watcher droids on Tarzalmora and to go back to Tarzalmora. Yep. For, for what he thinks is everybody should be at loss here. They just fired on the Rev-12. Uh, the gravity's gone. The, the, the shield that was protecting everybody is also gone. They're all floating away. It's all hopeless. We know that our protagonists have a plan here. It's a little, it's a little off, off hinge, but uh, how in the world should the Diviner even expect to find anybody alive? Well, so the the atmospherics were going to hold until the batteries ran out, essentially. So maybe he's expecting just that they'll be on their last gasps, but they'll still be alive. Maybe he's thinking it doesn't matter alive or dead. The, the power core, if it's there, will still give off that signature. Yeah. I mean, I also think maybe that he, he realizes that if these if these kids are, are capable enough to, to dupe me like that and steal the core to this ship then he probably assumes that you know he's not going to take any chances hence reactivating the watchers and everything i mean i you know it would make sense for him to realize that like okay they're still kids but clearly they're not stupid so i'm going to try and you know eliminate as many variables as i can so that i can beat these kids so i think he probably realizes once gwen and once he figures out that the protocol is gone that you know okay maybe maybe not quite as dumb as i thought that would show some yeah, it, good character growth. I mean, for a villain to develop a little bit, it makes sense. Yeah. But uh, I was just going to say, it also shows his whole, like, 
Vaunacott's superiority the entire time, right? This this hubris that he approaches every situation with, where I I am supposed to win this, I am supposed to do these things, right? And now it's like, mm, the kids have betrayed me. All right, well, let's take fewer chances. So, hundred mm-hmm. percent. Cool. So we cut to our next scene, which is back on Tars Mora. It's uh, Dell and Zero zipping along, flying around, uh, talking about how they're going to corral all the miners uh, into the Rev Twelve, uh, and they decide to split up, which is not something you do in Dungeons and Dragons, but here it seems to make sense. Uh, we come across a really little heartfelt scene that uh, I thought was really cute, um, where the two miners that we saw in the first episode fighting and throwing things at each other are now together again. Uh, and this time, for the first time ever, they can talk to each other because of the com badge's translator function. So they essentially admit their love towards each other in a good little LGBT moment, which was delightful. So. It was, uh, it was at great. The moment, at the moment that you started talking about the gay people, my I flag saw. fell. I saw. <laughs> I don't. Oh, no. The, fl- the, the flag was like, we're going to pour one out for these cuties. Pour one out. Oh, it's a sweet scene. It's lovely. It is. Um, and and even though it's interrupted, it was still great because the, the interruption I felt was timely. I didn't want like, a lot. Of, a lot of times you get that tease and then the, the show just goes away from it. But in this moment, it made sense. Hey, guys. After this is over, whatever happens is great, but we need to go. Mm-hmm. It's it's also one of the few times in a kid's show where you can clearly see like a moment of like what at least presents as a male and another male like expressing feelings towards each other. And there's zero judgment from anybody anywhere nearby. There's no like looking eye askance, nothing. It's just like, guys, adorable. We ain't got the time. Let's fucking move, right? And so he shoves them off. Um, but yeah, it's, it's good. And it's on Nickelodeon... So, I mean, that's good and supportive. It's, it's certainly earlier in the show than similar things were in shows like uh, The Legend of Korra, where it was literally the last scene of the last right. episode where they finally showed something. So, but yeah, yeah, that was a cool little touching scene. Uh, and uh, then we cut to uh, Jankum <laughs> Murph inside of the Zero Suit. Zero Suit Murph, yes. Uh, and and uh, Rock going into the into the depths of the rev 12 trying to find the power core yeah it's a it's a smash brothers reference sorry oh no no no! i understand zero suit suit. zero suit murph nice i was trying to make a joke like zero suit samurf that's the one (laughs) (laughs) if you want the dad jokes i'll be right here so Jankum realizes that all the uh, watches are turning on they find the power core rock talk holds open the door and uh, they run on in with uh, two of the watchers trying to slam their way through the door. Now, they, so, they talk about, is it in this scene they talk about there being, like, an energy issue? Yes, it's in this scene. Yeah. Well, and did, because did they you, can see that the core is, like, yeah, discombobulated. Right. And did you immediately jump to the, oh, they're just going to use Murph? Yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah I was right sense. there being like, yeah, let's just do that. But the way Rock Talk explains it with the techno babble. Chef's kiss. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My thing is this: with that technical issue and like the, we'll just siphon power off from the protocore into the. How long was she alone? Oh, we how talked long? about that. How long was we, she alone? We talked about that two, three episodes ago when it happened, and while there was no consensus in the the whole agree to disagree, 
Jay was very uh, paternal about it. He was very much like as a dad, leaving your child alone for that long. That's terrible. Um, and since and Renzo, you brought up a good point. Like we have no idea how they age, so we don't really know because we don't see any signs of aging on Rock Talk. Uh, but safe to say, um, she's quite um, capable on her own when she has uh, a goal in mind that, that shows a, a diligence. You just write that on your resume. Was trapped in warp bubble for 22 years, uh, self-taught uh, warp dynamics, quantum chronodynamics, warp theory, uh, and built a, a shop vac that uh, unsplintered the universe. Uh, please hire me as a scrum master. <laughs> Listen, I've got no doubts that she could get a job anywhere with her, like her ability to just be an autodidact. Like teaching yourself that kind of stuff completely on your own, very impressive. I'm sure she had Starfleet training software from the computer that she relied on, but even so, yeah, no one to ask questions to. Oof, very impressive. Yeah. And I think that the reason she didn't age, I think it, I think it was explained where like because of time moving slowly, it didn't actually count as time i don't know how to explain it's i don't i don't there like was a weird conversation we had about it, why the stuff around her is moving slowly but she's not personally affected by the time dilation mm -hmm. um but we don't might get it was the that. observer effect like affects it somehow like when you're observing it you are the observer you you I don't know. It's eh. it's all mumbo at that point. Yeah, it's... What I will say, though, is that the design of the power core in here was actually really interesting. It reminded me of two things. It reminded me a lot of the Kelvin timeline warp cores, yep. uh, which I'm so, so on because I thought that they looked kind of weird. But it also reminds me a lot of Romulan singularity cores in Star Trek Online. They have a very similar aesthetic with like a hmm. big ass round room and the cores in the middle with large metallic things like pointing at it from both directions kind of thing. Yeah, Very I definitely got the Kelvin core for sure, too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, or, you know, the Borg core that was featured in First Contact. Yeah. That, too. Yeah. Nice yep. stuff there. So, in this scene, we get uh, Jankum going off to be like, I'm going to go fix it. And he tells uh, Rock to just hold the door closed. And her immediate response is, I can do more than hold the door closed. Uh, which is a sign not just that she's smarter, but she, she is also much more confident now. Yeah. And confidence is something that takes time to grow as well. Yeah. I, I think the consensus was there. She was she was alone for a year or two, you know, just full on in the books. But we'll find out. I'm sure I'm sure it's going to come up. I'm sure it's yeah. going to come up. I tend and... to think she was. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, I'm just, I was just going to add, what's really amazing about that being ambiguous is now the writers have a place they can go back to to explain why Rock Talk just suddenly knows something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And besides, as a Brickar, we really don't know how they age. She could have been like 45 the first episode, and now she's like 112, and she still looks the same. Yeah. Right? Like, she may have spent 60 years in there, and we'll just never know, because Brickar physiology is not something we can predict yet. Right. But yeah, so she comes up with the idea to use Murph as the battery for this thing and to jumpstart the engine with it, and off to work she goes. And another thing that was cool was seeing Jankum Pog, despite being a Tellarite, despite being argumentative, just walk up and be like, you know what? You can explain this better than I can. Go. <laughs> Suzanne, if you want to fix that, feel free. Yeah, I really... The double-sided so tape has failed you. Oh, no. <laughs> 
the flag. The flag has fallen. I'm not going to salute. That's. And it's new tape, too. I just put it up. I got it. It's all good. No worries. It's a wonderful flag. I just made a UFP flag also for my banners in Animal Crossing because I've been addicted to that game for like two weeks. Okay. Let's, <sighs> hope, let's hope. Let's hope she stays. But you know. <laughs> so we'll yeah. Find out. Just seeing Jankum humble himself because as a team player now, because they've had that experience and they're on that wavelength, he's like. Uh, I could probably do that, but you know what you're talking about better than I do. We're in a pinch. I'll hold the door. You do the thing. There was even some very friendly, like, teasing banter between the two of them, too, right? The whole, I didn't know you could fix the engine by staring at it, right? Like, it's great. Because that's the sort of stuff that happens in real teams. Yeah. Yeah, it is. You, you learn each other's strengths and weaknesses, and you can rub, you can rib each other. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. My favorite thing I think about that scene is looking at Jankum Pog holding the door closed while floating. Mm -hmm. As uh, like kid show, uh, kid show, but it's still it's still funny. <laughs> All right, so cut to our next scene, and we've got Zero finding the Cation child that we've been watching from the first episode, and he's just trying to convince them to like, hey, it's okay, I'm here to help you, and the Cation is very clearly terrified of everything going on. So I just want to I want to stop right there. In the previous episodes, it, it it occurred to me that we're referring to zero with very different pronouns sometimes. Like I I refer as she her. You're doing he him. I've heard they them. I also understand as a Medusa and a non corporeal, those things don't mean anything to them. Do we want to align in this show or just let it ride? I don't know. I mean, I I would like to do they them. I think that that is the probably the most appropriate selection. Yeah. Uh, but the voice acting for me always strikes me as he him, and it I just catch myself doing it all the really? time. Really? Because I'm hearing yeah. I'm hearing a very feminine voice, a very motherly British like a dame or something. That's what I'm hearing is that kind yeah. of a voice, which is very I think interesting. That was probably on purpose too. I mean, to try and make it more androgynous to some extent and i think that it has been mentioned that um zero uses they them pronouns however i i mean or uses they them i, I don't know if it's a right. canon fact but yeah, i prefer it, to use they them if i yeah. think of it but i sometimes use he him as well just because i, I forget i will try but to yeah, go i with think that. it's they them i will i, I did yeah. that last episode so i will i will continue with that we haven't seen it happen in the show right like they it hasn't come up ever as far as i remember I but in spite so. of that no, but it's it's not like the scene with Adira and Stamets where it's right. like, I've never been a her. I don't really feel like a her kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, right there. Um, there is one scene about there is one scene about that. I think where it says um, where they say I'm I'm not a he. I'm not I'm not a she. Right. I am. I'm, you know. So that's 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 why I tend to prefer they them. Yeah. No. Because that's why. Yeah. You're right. I should use they thems. I I will okay. try. We'll do the thing. We'll do the thing. Yeah. We're good here. Lit. We're good here. Cool. Um, so, Suzanne, would you look up the voice actor while we go forward? I shall. Uh, and Anyways. Renzo, cat. Right. So as Zero is approaching uh, the Cation child, uh, one of the watchers sneaks up on them all, and uh, it's, a, it's a scary moment where it starts to shoot at them. And uh, Dal is the one who goes in for the save with two phasers, or with phaser shots firing and missing a couple times. Uh, but finally catching it. 
Uh, it looks like Zero loses an arm, um, but they're not very worried about it. Never had much control of them anyways, uh, they say. So. Yep, very much. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think with, with, with Zero, it's so funny because, I mean, they weren't meant to have any sort of body at all, but not only did they create a containment field of sorts for themselves, but they were like, yeah, I guess I could have arms too. <laughs> I guess those might be useful sometimes. They've definitely complained about it a few times them. though. They've mm -hmm. complained about them. They complained about it during the, the time sharding episode as well. So. Mm -hmm. Because they made it themselves and, and the, you know, limited resources, that's, you know. So I just I just think it's funny that they're like, I mean, I you know, I had them, you, you know, I guess I can lose one for now, that's fine. Well, with access to the vehicle printer back on the Protostar, you know, maybe during the mid-season break, they can come up with a better containment suit for themselves. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking that they, because they complain about their fingers. They complain about not being able to use their fingers. And you would think that Starfleet probably has some form of something in yeah. there that would that would really help them. What if, new suit. what if, what if we have a brand new Dreadnought suit that's a zero suit? That's what I'm wondering. We have a dreadnought pattern. Still there. We have no, the code, yeah. I mean, we have a dreadnought pattern, but it's only terrifying because of the beady little Terminator red eyes. You could make those, you know, more expressive blue eyes, and it would be just fine. I'm I'm sure that Zero can design design something themselves that represents them better than the dreadnought tail attack suit. Perhaps. Also, just to be clear, I never want to see Dreadnought ever again. I he <laughs> terrifies me. I don't care what anybody. It's like Doc Ock meets the Terminator meets yeah, nightmares. I think I he's don't supposed like to be him. that way for sure. I know, but like it's a kid show, and that he mm, I hate I hate Dreadnought. I mean, I love him as a villain. He's great, but ah. great voice oh. acting too. Every time I hear it, I really think it's Zachary Quinto's voice. There's just something monotone and serious about it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All right, so here's where we get a quick discussion between uh, Zero and Dal about how approaching the miners one by one is super inefficient and they need to come up with something better. And uh, Dal is the one who suggests using the manacles um, and somehow networking them with his uh, combat, which is very ingenious. Yeah, I think one of my favorite things about this episode um, thus far that we've talked about is we see Dal we see Dal, you know, in the Kobayashi Maru, learning to let go of his ego. But we also see Dal focusing on how he can become a better captain, how he can become a better team member and a person in general. And, you know, he's he, he needs to know these little things to be able to get them out of situations like this. And I think that that's my favorite part about this episode is is seeing him grow as a character and, and, and setting aside his, you know, we don't know them, I don't care attitude um and being a captain i i really like that about this yeah the community there was a lot of voices in the community complaining about ugh, i can't i hate dal he's so childish Ugh, why can't he be more mature on the first episode all around right like if you look at the reddit post about the first episode of prodigy it was like 800 different ways of saying i hate dal cool he's grown in the last 10 episodes can can we cut the guy some slack right like he's you know, much better now here's something he's a child you know what's something that I don't think it's spelled out, and I want to say it. It's not spelled out for existing viewers, existing Star Trek fans of all calibers, that every kid's show is some kid's first introduction to this kind of character arc, this kind of problem structure. 
We watched Avatar The Last Airbender. I watched it as a 20-something. And yeah, okay, Aang at the beginning, oh my god, he's annoying as heck. But over the course of that show, he learns the burden, he faces it, he confronts it, he overcomes. It's awesome. And it's an awesome arc to see repeated repeatedly and children are going to have this experience some of these kids this is going to be the first show their first introduction to this arc 20 years from now they're going to be complaining that whatever iteration of star trek is not like prodigy which the people today are complaining about this wasn't like classic the classic tng which itself was complained about wasn't the original series so let's just spell it out right now if you hate no one this hates on Star Trek like Star Trek fans? Nobody hates on Star Trek like Star Trek fans, but more specifically, if you're hating on this show because these characters are going through arcs you have seen time and again in Star, in, in Star Trek and other TV shows, congratulations. You were there for the ride. This is someone's introduction. Let them enjoy the ride. Let them see these characters struggle and overcome and sit back and nod and watch them as the, it clicks with the new kids, with the new viewers. So if they're posting online and they're saying something like, wow, Doll's Ark, this was really great, celebrate that because some kid out there picked it up and they learned it and they figured it out. Don't go on to them and be like, it's just like Yang. Yeah, screw you. These kids are having a good time for the first time. Let them enjoy it like you did. Hell yeah. Well said. Amen. And so fully yeah, agree. No, I feel like that's what people forget is that it, it, there, there's two, it, like, th I, like, it's a kid show. It's a kid show. Someone is experiencing this for the first time as a child, and it's, it, you know, it doesn't have to be dumbed down, and it isn't. I, I really don't think that it is, and I think that that's what I love about this show specifically is that I think that some kid shows will do that and assume that children are not as smart as they are, and that bothers me. Um, but I think that, you know, for the people that are complaining about it, one, it's a kid show. But, like, it's a kid show, and that's a good thing. Like, that's what we want. We want more people to be focused on. We want, like, younger generations to understand Trek and learn about Trek. And I think it's really cool. And it's amazing the way that they're interacting with it. But, you know, it, 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 if there's something that bothers you, it's like, oh, he's annoying. And, like, I complain. I, listen, I complained about Dal, too, because he drove me crazy. Because, of course, he did, because it's a kid show. He's supposed to. That's the point. We've been and on so, that ride. Yeah. 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 And so I just, I, I don't, I, it bugs me when, when people discount something only because they, you know, because again, and you also, you already said this, but just like, we've already been through, we've, we were there for the ride and these kids are like four <laughs> and five and six and seven. Right. Let them, let people enjoy things, especially let kids enjoy things. Yeah. Let them be like, let them have an introduction to Trek that isn't, you know, no six-year-old is going to watch DS9. I mean, I did because I'm a freak, but like, like no six-year-old is going to watch DS9 probably and 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 engage with it in the same way that they're going to engage with something that is, you know, really bright and colorful and beautiful and well animated that has you know uh, a mentor in Janeway has all these kids that maybe like them that have struggles that they have. Of course, I don't. You know, I'm I'm not going to act like Dal is a 22-year-old, but Dal's a kid. That's the point. Yep. That's the point. <laughs> And they so, put a lot of thought into this from a production standpoint too, right? Like if you watch most cartoons from when I was growing up, they would have these sorts of messages, but the episodes were very episodic, right? Character development didn't happen from one episode to the next. It was just in each episode, Jimmy Neutron would realize these things again or whatever, right? 
uh, here, because the show is somewhat serialized, we're seeing the character development hold on each episode, right? So last episode, he grew a little bit. The episode before that, he grew a little bit more and so forth and so on, right? So it builds up on itself, even though the plot lines of the episode are very episodic. Absolutely. Yep. All right, cool. So cut back to the power core where Jankum is still holding the door uh, and he's using his auto hammer hand to like smash some watcher tails, which was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, and he uses the hand to like hold onto the door and like pull it closed while they're still pushing in. All very cool. Interestingly, Jankum seems more adept at holding the door than Rock Talk would have been in the same moment. She wouldn't have been able to chop those tails off. She wouldn't have been able to grip from range and hold the door down. Uh, it's very interesting. It's really cool. He should be the security guy. To be fair, though, I think that she just could have used her arm to smash off their tails, and that would have worked pretty well, too. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Okay. But grip from but range? I'm with you. One can be the engineer, the other can be the mechanic, right? Most ships need both. Anyways, uh, so uh, Rock manages to get uh, their Murph battery hooked up. It restarts the power on the ship, and it also restarts the shield. So they get gravity back, and everything falls back down to Tars Lamora soil. Which was kind of terrifying. I was really expecting some people to get crushed by things, because it just seemed rough. Yeah, and like, I knew it was a kid. Like, like you know, in my head, I was like, okay, it's a kid show. No one's going to die. But it, it, I mean, if there are people just floating everywhere... And you suddenly turn the gravity back on. Getting back down is going to hurt a little bit, at the very least. Let's, so it was, it was sort of like, uh. Let's say that the suit has a built-in temporary inertial dampener. Sure. Yeah, there we go. That's the one. Yeah, that works. Star Trek. But either way, yeah, it was a cool scene. Um, and we also did get to see Jankum do some percussive disassembly on the uh, the watchers that did enter the room, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That so yeah, really nice. I, I wouldn't be opposed to him being the security guy either. So. Also, can I just say, I know some people don't like Jenkin Park. I've grown to like him. I, I, I guess I didn't at first just because of, like, he's supposed to be kind of plucky comic, really, I guess. You know what I mean? But, like, I don't know. When, when Rock says, like, I can do more than this. And he says, okay, cool. What you got? And that's, you know, he clearly cares about the team and is still, you know, he's learning how to be a part of the team. And I, I, I think I think he's underrated. I like Jacob Pog. I think he's cool. Yeah, I'm with you. I think he's one of the older people on the ship, to be honest, uh, mm -hmm. at least in apparent age, if not biological age. Because uh, he, he seems like he's gone through a bit more of the grinding down of working on Tars Lamora than most. Remember when, when in the first episode, when Dal asked him for help escaping, he was like, what? You can't escape. Don't be ridiculous kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas even Rock, Zero, uh, and Dal all thought that escape was possible. Yeah, and I think that the difference between um, Jankum's trauma with Tars Lamora and Rock's is I think that Rock was probably much younger uh, when she was taken or brought or put on Tars Lamora. And so I think that Jankum maybe has been there longer or, you know, has more experience there, but I think that Rock, that was kind of all she knew. Mm -hmm. um, whereas he was just like, yeah, I'm stuck here, and you're not getting out, because he was, you know, that, so I think that's the difference, but I think they both have similar 
Like they've both been there a long time, but in different ways. Yeah, lots of trauma for both, for sure. Mm -hmm. All right, so cut to our next scene, and this is back with Dal and the Cation Child and Zero trying to establish some sort of communications link uh, between all the anklets. And uh, we get this, which I thought was an interesting scene, if only because it showed that Dal still has more growing up to do. Uh, Zero's kind of bragging about not caring about there being air because he's, or because they're non-corporeal, a benefit thereof. And uh, Dal snaps at him like, would you just be quiet for a minute? I'm trying to concentrate on this, which is a realistic thing if somebody's just like distracting while you're in the middle of something that is very important. It's a, it's a, it's a normal reaction sometimes, but it shows that he can still be more mature. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Fully agree on that one. Yeah. Yep. And then we see the protostar uh, appear overhead and zoom over them, uh, which triggers a very memorable line about how we're all out of moments from zero. So, yeah. Cool. All right. We cut back to the engine room and uh, they're pulling Murph out of his jumpstart position and Dreadnought beams in. And Murph goes back into the Zero suit and zoops away to try and escape from Dreadnought while uh, Rock and Jankum Pog both try and fight Dreadnought to so, no avail whatsoever. Yeah. This was a moment where I was like, okay, things just changed drastically bad because now it's Jankum Pog and Rock Talk versus Dreadnought. And while their previous encounters with him have been flight, here they choose fight. And I'm feeling very scared for Rock Talk and Jankum in these moments because it's like, wow, you guys really have changed as as people as and, and you've grown a connection as uh, a crew, so to speak. Um and, and they're taking on Dreadnought together, and I'm just like, wow, y'all are going to get your butts handed to you, but I really appreciate that you're choosing to confront instead of evade here. Yeah, like, they, they, got the the, they got their butts kicked, but, but they did yeah. it together. <laughs> but they And they stuck to the plan, right? Like, they knew that there was a chance that Dreadnought would come show up, and at which point it's just buy time for the rest of the people to get there, like, do your job and so forth. Which is a very mature thing to do, right? When you're faced with adversity, sticking to the plan is hard. Yeah. But having a plan and... is is a good thing to have. A lot of people go into these situations and they don't have plans and things go off the rails. Mm -hmm. So we get this awesome scene where a whole bunch of miners still in their mining suits show up at the power core and just swarm at, at Dreadnought. And uh, the Cation child is seemingly leading them and also gets the last blow on Dreadnought and decapitates him. Delightful. <sighs> there, there was a uh, there was a creature there that I I, I felt was very shark like, but also had like horns coming out the sides of their face and the top of their head, and it just gave me flashbacks to the the shark like horned character from uh, Lilo and Stitch. It was like the guard for the aliens. Oh, yeah. I was very much yes. like, oh, that's that character. And there's also a Lurian in this scene as well. Uh, one of Morn's species is present. Uh, Renzo, are you? Do you think it's the same as a Lurian? I'm not sure. I think he looks a lot like a Lurian for sure. I'm not sure that he is. He's kind of stretched vertically. Maybe he's just tall and. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. but I, I, I'm totally down with it possibly being that. I just wanted to point out that there were some really interesting other aliens we saw here, too. Like, there was the alien with two heads that talks about themselves in, the, in like, a wee person, which was really cool. Uh, there was the other alien 
um, who had like a jellyfish head attached via tentacles to the rest of their body. Also really cool looking. Yeah. So yeah. cool there designs. Was, Hope we see more. There was even one there that looked like the uh, uh, the 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 demigorgon from Stranger Things. Oh yes. yeah, yeah, yeah! I saw that. Very interesting stuff there. Mm-hmm. Love. So it. we we cut to this or in the same scene. Uh, Zero and Dow show up, and they realize that Murphs had the power core beamed out of him, which is probably very unsettling. He looked very uh, unhappy when we first see him emerging from behind the Zero suit. Yeah. Poor Murph. Yeah. He looked almost a little wounded. I was was really surprised that... I don't know. It was a moment where I was like, that wasn't in the plan. Yeah, I agree. That was probably a clever thing. Remember... For some reason, and I I don't know why, but for some reason they all seem very impressed and surprised about transporters, right? Like, remember in the episode when they were trying to teleport the apple pie or whatever it was, the pie slice around? Mm-hmm. They were all very shocked by how effective transporters were. So it seems like that's just a piece of technology that they're not very familiar or comfortable with. So its use against them was probably just, oh, crap, we didn't think about that one. Well, it seemed to be something that they didn't have on the Rev-12 either. No, they did, because they I... used the transporters in the back of the room to beam onto the protostar in this episode. Oh, that's true. Right. That's true. Okay, so the kids just weren't exposed to the tech as minors. Yeah. Okay. But it's weird, because Lynn is also fascinated with the transporter and the pie. True. Um, and so, to me, it, I don't know, it's weird, because, like, why would she not... Because she got uh, training, I suppose, from the Diviner in, in Starship Systems and the like... So I, I, maybe it's just because she's seeing it in a context that she hasn't seen it before and like, oh, we can have fun with this. This could be fun, you know. But I, but I do think that, you know, again, she's on the Protostar and they're not. And so it, they don't think about it in this scenario as much. Like, it, But she probably would. We could so. ask Aaron Waltke. We totally should. <laughs> Mr. Waltke, I know you're a really great writer, but can you explain this one inconsistency, like Galaxy <laughs> Quest style, please? Yeah. Now, yeah. I did want to point out this little bit, right? So we've had questions this entire season about whether Murph is actually very sentient or not, right? Um, because he kind of just sometimes seems like a pet, right? But in this scene, I think it gives it tips their hat a little bit that he does understand the seriousness or the gravity of what was going on. Because when he comes out from behind the Zero suit and he knows that the power core has been taken out of him, he looks concerned. Maybe it's just like, oh, the thing I had in my belly that was warm is gone now. But it looks more like he's actually like disappointed that he couldn't do his job. Like, I couldn't do my part. Yeah. And the noises he makes are clearly those of distress. Yeah. We're going to learn more about Murph, I feel. He's, yeah. he's indestructible goop that like it, he's I love him I don't know what he is but I love him and he, I hope we learn more he's about our him. cinnamon roll <coughs> but he's really like bread right. pudding <laughs> so cut back to the proto star and we've got the diviner in the engine room uh, onboarding the proto core and uh, it's going to take 10 minutes before it's active enough that they can actually use the drive so he's in this super confident overconfident place again yeah and at the same time the miners are taking stations on the bridge of the rev 12 like they're manning what look like little cubicles almost with control panels and such 
and they start the liftoff procedure for the ship. Reading the language that they couldn't read before. True. That's that is very true. I mean, that's so going back that a diviner is an evil genius but an evil asshole at the same time. The idea of keeping all of your prisoners from being able to talk to each other because none of them share a common language seems like a very effective tool for controlling and containing them. Uh, so, I mean, there's biblical oh, yeah. roots for that, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So we get this neat scene of the Rev-12 lifting off, folding from its city configuration to its, like, ship battle configuration. I don't know. And then uh, going to warp really, really cool. Again, I'm with you, Dag, that it looks a lot like the Dredge Mothership from Titan AE. Right there with you. Uh, I still think it also reminds me of the Zant Mothership from the Star Trek New Worlds novels. Uh, so, yeah. And then we cut back to the bridge of the Protostar, where the Diviner comes up aboard, or it enters the room and is like, what is Gwyn doing? Why, why isn't she in the brig? And uh, we get the best little snappy answer from the Janeway hologram possible. Yeah, we do. Yeah, it's uh, because I only answered a Starfleet, I think is what it is. <laughs> uh, and then she retakes her healthy, normal appearance yep. and uh, talks about the upgrades that Gwyn gave her, which was mentioned last episode, too. Remember, mm -hmm. there's that scene when Gwyn is typing and then uh, Janeway's over her shoulder and goes, oh, that's quite the upgrade there. So... Yeah, that I was, was waiting for that. Yep. I, I was waiting for that. I saw that in that episode, and I said, oh, something's going to happen with Janeway. I'm excited. I Yeah, and I really, I think she does also get a slightly different variation on her uniform as well, with the stripes on the sleeves, I believe. Oh, I hadn't noticed the stripes being there or not in the previous one, but I do Maybe like I'm the wrong. way she looks. Yeah, they, they definitely, um, they do a good visual storytelling there to tell those kids, hey, this is this is Janeway. And she's what I will guy. say is very cool is the upgrade that Janeway got wasn't just to be uh, resistant or immune to the Vaunacott programming. They also gave her physical like mass, right? Like they actually put like shield parameters inside of her so she can touch things now, which is something that the doctor, the EMH doctor on Voyager could always do, but which we've seen this Voyager hologram could not. Now she can, which is why she goes and has like a fist fight with the Diviner and then rips off one of his like liquid life support things, yeah. which was delightful. Yeah, Janeway just says, all right, murder. <laughs> Straight <laughs> up murder. <laughs> she is I, not fucking around, ladies I, and gentlemen. I've got some decaf in my code today. Bring it. Not decaf. I mean, oh. she she fought like the way Nightcrawler does in the X Men movies, right? Where oh, you come this way, well, I'll be behind you then. Oh, yep. you went that. Oh, I'm over here now. Bye. Yep. Kind of stuff, which was great. Which makes sense for a holographic officer. It's a really Absolutely. cool way to also like exploit uh, mass uh, in body mechanics. If you're leaning into that punch forward and the thing you're punching is suddenly not there, you can't rely on the thing that you were punching to counter your your balance. So you just appear behind them and kick them and they fall over. <laughs> mm -hmm. So as far as the the kids showing aspect of this, I'm I think it's an interesting trick that they had her pull out this like blue cable thing rather than actually like make him bleed. I think that that helps with the sensors because, you know, if you show a hologram stabbing someone to stop them, which is roughly the equivalent of what this was, 
it raises the the parental notification necessity of things, right? Yeah. Even though they both kind of serve the same purpose. So kudos there for coming up with a good workaround. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely the the one spot in the armor that uh, had a one AC. Yep. So then he uh, then the diviner starts his like, oh, I'm gonna talk to Gwyn and I'm gonna convince her to help me at this last second. And unsurprisingly, it does work to some degree. She pauses the Janeway hologram. Terrible idea. Uh, and she stops lowering the shields. And he and the Diviner convinces her that Solemn still exists. It's here. We can save it, but we don't have long. And she needs to know more. Uh, he, he reveals the big game that he was sent back in time to save the planet. So... Whew confirms all yeah. those time travel theories but also breaks open a whole lot of, of speculation about why, how everything ties together it's a big old can of worms I also, the thing about Gwen is boy, she's gonna need a lot of therapy for those daddy issues like I, it's she, because I mean, it's, her, it's still her father I mean, it's still her parent I mean how long has it been since they've been on the pro star maybe like a couple of months couple of like a well, few yeah well except for rock who was there for who knows um but like it's still and he never told her and so she still has that mystery to solve for herself and she thinks that he's the only one that can solve it and truly he probably is the only one who can and so it, while it is not the best decision for her to pause the janeway hologram i get it um and luckily it's resolved but you know it's 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 still one of those moments of see she she has the attachment issue that doll doesn't have doll didn't care who was telling him what to do whether he knew them well or not he wanted the justification she is still trying to resolve those conflicting feelings she still has the dissonance from from what's what what she knew to be true to what she knows now and it's really hard to push that away Mm-hmm. yeah i get it i get that there's definitely like internal struggle there and it, it makes sense to show it it's very realistic it's just like you could have you could have allowed the shields to go you could have brought the shields down first and then gone with daddio to figure out what exactly he's lying to you about and have your friends there to help you because you trust them but no she fell for his bullshit too much i mean i guess the assumption though then would be if she did that and if they, you know, put him in the brig or whatever, that he'd never talk or something. Or that he would no, continue to, you know, or, or if she knows what he's after, maybe she can use it against him type of thing. I, you know, but uh, there's that. And have we gotten to the, have we gotten to the hollow program part yet? Or is that? Not there yet. Okay. No, that's a bit further. So there is one neat cinema, cinematography thing that they do in this scene uh, where once Janeway hologram is frozen, she'll be in the foreground completely frozen. And then the rest of the scene will play out next to her and behind her really cool because it shows you just how Janeway is there but she's not there right and it's a it's a cool little trick that they did yep cool so cut to our next scene which is now the Rev 12 catching up to the protostar and they're talking about how uh well we can't beam aboard the shields are still up why aren't the shields down already Gwen should have brought them down something's wrong we gotta help and uh they start thinking of, like the only way we can get through those shields is to start shooting at it and Dal is very reluctant to start shooting at his own ship. Reasonable, very reasonable. But uh, Rock Talk suggests that they fire specifically at the shield emitters, 
just to create disturbances enough to beam through, and they start shooting. Which was an interesting thing because they don't really address it on the Protostar. We see the 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 beam strike Protostar and start messing with the shields, but when we flash back to Protostar, it's this is what happened to Solom, and they don't even have the throwaway line of their firepower is at minimum. We're not going to worry about it. They're just trying to yeah. reduce the shields. We've got an hour. Yeah, I mean, uh. it might be along the lines of they're just not on the bridge anymore, so they just don't see it. And with the computer paused, because Janeway's paused, there's nothing yelling at them like shields at 70% or something. And not only that, but I mean, are they... They're firing at the... What are they firing at again? I'm sorry, the, the, shield, the shield generators. generators specifically, the, the, yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, it, it may not be rocking the ship like crazy or anything like that, but I mean, it's still giving them that momentary blip for them to be able to beam over and help, if that makes sense. This does do a neat thing of showing us the shield shape of the Protostar. So lots of Star Trek ships will have complete bubbles around them, and there are fewer episodes or fewer scenes where we see hull conformal shields, but the Protostar definitely has a shield shape that like is very close to the hull and fits the hull, which was neat to see. Yeah, I love the little ship details and shows like that. I mean, even in a kid's show, you know, it's still written by people who love Trek and who want to express that love of Trek for other people who love Trek. And so I just, mm -hmm. I, I love little ship details like that. It's, yeah, I totally geek out at those. Same, same. All right, so cut to the holodeck where we have Gwen and the Diviner standing over a computer pad or a computer console and he like, creates a memory chip out of nowhere from like liquids inside his suit and then like inserts it into like the usb slot and it just loads the solemn hollow program it definitely um it definitely goes with their mental control of that metal and i think it's i think the chip comes from the filigree on his glove not from inside the suit because he's got that art, that that incredible filigree on his gloves and on the rest of his uniform that I think might be reinforcing, uh, but made of similar metal. That's I'm almost of the opinion that it's a 100. It's one of the 100, and it's not really sentient, but it responds to the mental commands. I think they it, enslaved I, a changeling. That seems rough. It, it's it's the diviner we just spent two episodes okay. talking that's about true, how true, true. he is the villain he's abusing children it's not beyond him to realize he has a semi-sentient puddle of goo that can be weaponized he weaponized a medusa for crying out loud um i'm not saying point. it's beyond him i'm saying that i don't know how i feel like it, trying to enslave a changeling is just a recipe for getting it for getting it to kill you like t1000 style stabbing you through the throat or something perhaps but he's got mental control of it if that mental control yeah, ever lapsed maybe, so. maybe it wouldn't work so well additionally there is one other loose end in deep space nine that's never tied up with a similar thing um but if you remember that one episode where odo helps that fugitive escape to rescue his daughter and he's got the shape shifting key from the first season of ds9 that shape-shifting key never really is explained, but that kind of material could do this as well. Yeah, that's fair. That's a good point. So we do see a really cool little detail, though it's something I expect that they would show, but it is still good that they did it. When he's about to insert his little memory stick in, it doesn't just get stuck into nothing. There's actually a hole that opens up 
dynamically for where he's about to stick it, and then it loads it in like a proper chip or something. Almost programmable That's a good matter. detail. Yeah, it's almost programmable matter. It's a good detail to include. Very, very well done for the graphic arts guys there. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, anyways, it loads them into the Solm Hollow simulation, and it's kind of stunning. It's like a very pretty rocky purple planet. The rock outcroppings actually remind me a little bit of like Tars Lamora itself, which maybe it's why he's there. Uh, but it is really cool looking. The center of this place looked, reminded me of the the Disney castle from the beginning of all the Disney movies. Yeah, a little bit. I almost expected to hear the 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 soundtrack from you know the fanfare. Don't sing it; they'll copyright us. Uh, Wait, they'll copyright strike us. Remember, if we get a cease and desist, it means we made it. And if we get a cease, if our first cease and desist is from Disney, <laughs> wrong no. people. <laughs> but yeah so you're right the city is really cool looking the building in the middle is very castle-like uh yeah it looks really neat yeah it does uh, the architecture is really nice but it's also reflective of the geography you have these very sharp spires pointing in many ways uh either up or towards the center of this facility and he also explains here that the 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 Vaunacot were a a xenophobic race. They did not believe that there were other people in the universe. I don't know if that's necessarily xenophobic, right? Like I don't want to jump to that because there are many people on Earth who argue that we're the only like sentient life in the galaxy. But I don't think that's because of a place of xenophobia. It's just a point of ignorance. I have I have thought because and I could be wrong, um, but. The way that he says that the Valnacot were confident in their supremacy, that, to me, ooh. Because he mentions that there is a possible civil conflict. There's a civil conflict that occurs when, you know, first time. Um, but are there other races on the planet that could have said, hey, look, that offers salvation. Maybe we could do that. And then the Valakot yeah, maybe said, they had a, maybe it's like the Zindi, multiple species on one planet, and they were just all enslaved by the Valakot. That fits. Yeah, that uh, because you know the confident in our supremacy thing. That's what what gets me. And so and and because the diviner is so, I mean, has that title, and is so, sort of plotting and scheming and evil in general. You know, I just something something feels like i feel like they're not the only ones on that planet and i feel like they may be the um what am i trying to say they you know they might be the majority but but i but you know i think that the, the use of the word supremacy to me feels we're gonna find out some more about about the valnicot that maybe th doesn't make Gwen too happy so to finish that sentence though it's confident in our superior believing it is just us in the universe right so That's they're true, yeah so maybe they don't have another race because they think it's just their own race, or maybe they don't consider any other things that they have found to even be worth designating as a race or as a, mm -hmm. as a species. I don't know. But yeah, it is interesting. I do want to learn more about where these uh, opinions of theirs came from. Uh, yes. But yeah. his, his story really, really bugs me in a way that tickles my contemporary news issue. 
you know these people unreliable narrator stuff well no not i mean it let's ignore unreliable narrator for a second i didn't even want to broach that because yeah sure you're absolutely right the unreliable narrator aspect of what he's telling gwen totally consistent with the fact that he has lied and he has manipulated and he has held the truth back so he could just be saying what he wants her to know so that she will be on his side again um and that's again right in line with his manipulation but let's for the second say that what he's saying is true he's got a hollow program ready to go to show gwen he could have had that ready could have been part of his plan who knows but the the if if we take what he says at face value he's basically saying that there were a group of people who had their dunning-kruger scores on artificial life really poor they they thought they were the only ones they were confident or what is it confidently incompetent um and their response to new information was to annihilate themselves or instead of just learning and growing let's send someone back in time to annihilate the source of our cognitive dissonance and and that's like brook burning a little bit but like to a much grander scale Uh, yep instead of instead of just going oh we're not alone in the universe and they had a civil war over it and they annihilated their world like no faction won here it's very bell and loki and that that frustrates me on a relevant level today and who knows what people are going to think 10 15 20 years from now i mean i don't agree with this take personally but it was a take that i read while looking up this episode was people thought that you know if earth today made contact with an alien race we would end up in the same situation right you'd have religious uprisings of people being like these are betrayers they're ungodly we should kill them you'd have other people who are like no we should help them and that would trigger like a global civil war and die off here i don't think that's quite realistic but it it is something to think about yeah Yeah, i mean yeah i mean especially considering how divided the world is in general at the moment i mean that that definitely to me speaks to this particular storyline of just like (laughs) yeah somebody came here and we didn't we didn't like it so also we annihilated ourselves and so now we're pissed so i'm just like let's just kill all of them in response it feels it's it's icky it's It's, supposed to be icky but i don't like it (laughs) yeah it's an overreaction um and it, it it just Ooh, it tickles It's my also head. a warning. To me, it, it, it's a warning of what can happen I'm just when you really... are convinced that you are superior, if that makes sense. When, you know, there are so many people on, you know, yeah, on they're Earth super that insular. are convinced. Well, we're convinced that we're the most advanced race that exists, like, because we haven't, you know. And so it's, to me, it, it, it almost reads a little bit as a warning. First, like, yeah, I'll say that I'm really glad we don't have time travel, at least publicly. I'm really glad we don't have time travel. But on the other side of the coin, we know what side of this conflict the Diviner was on. He was on the side that was against the contact. So his history could be tainted, like Renzo, you were saying, unreliable narrator. He's the only source we have on this information, and history is written by the victor. Yeah, so that's one thing I wanted to do before we cut to the next scene. I actually want to recap what he tells Gwyn, because we haven't done it. Yeah. But just a notable thing that he recaps for her is uh starfleet finds our planet we make first contact and starfleet leaves and in the wake of that discovery is when they have a civil war 
It's not like Starfleet started it. It's not like Starfleet helped arm one side or the other. They just didn't have a Cerritos around to do a second contact afterwards. They literally just made a first contact and shit fell apart afterwards, right? So the, the, the jump in logic to blame the Federation or Starfleet for that takes a certain kind of like paranoia already. Absolutely, yep. And yeah, I, I will agree that they're very insular, but I don't want to jump to the xenophobic stance yet. Who knows? They were at least 50 per like at least a good number of them were not xenophobic because they were ready to like engage with the Federation. So Yeah, you're not wrong there. That's true. But the I, Diviner, I, I mean, for the Diviner to be sent back in time, surely he had to be a part of the uh, of a of an upper class at some agreed. point. I mean, do you know what I mean? Like he yeah. had to be part of the 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 not maybe, the maybe not the ruling class, but definitely yeah, the elite. And so, you know, history tells us that the elite often aren't on the side of change yeah. <laughs> change and so I'll, you know to, yeah i'll clarify that. my generalization to say the diviner's side was at least xenophobic in the sense of yes we don't want outer contents because they had no control over starfleet contacting them nope you know and so it, it may have been xenophobic to the sense of we don't want it if we don't seek it first yeah new thing bad no no that's how I feel whenever yeah. somebody introduces me to new music. I didn't discover that <laughs> band. I don't want to listen to it. Mm. Oh, I like this. Who is it? Oh, it's that band. I don't like it anymore. <laughs> so one of yep. my great mistakes is uh, in sophomore year of college, my roommate at the time, Max, introduced me to a band called Muse. I'd never heard of them. I liked that he was playing one of their songs in rock band, but whatever. It was one song. He was like, they're my favorite band. Here, listen to all their CDs. And he gave me every CD of Muse that had come out at the time. And they sat there on my drawer for like three years. I never bothered to listen to them until like towards almost the end of my senior year. Then I listened to them and fell madly in love with them. I missed out on multiple concerts that were not that far away and would have been great to go to because I just hadn't bothered to actually follow through with what I said I do and listen to them. And uh, they they are now still one of my favorite bands. So that's yeah. cool. I'm that way with any television show that isn't Trek. If you try and get me to watch Yellow Jackets, for example, no, I might really like it. It might really totally be my thing, and I'll say I'll do it, and I won't. <laughs> I, I won't do it. This is I have to. Find I've it tried myself. to better myself since then. Like I try to be better about like if somebody tells me to do something and I say I will, like watch a show, I will, yeah. or yeah. I'll make a trade. I'll watch this if you watch that, because yeah. that I always follow up on. I like that philosophy, I really do. In 1998, Iris came out, the Goo Goo Dolls song, and it was on every station, it was number one everywhere, everyone loved it, I was sick and tired of it, but my best friend loved that song. And he, we're 16, right? So 16 romances are weird, but he was falling for this one girl and she was a big fan of the song so he buys the cd and he's listening to it on repeat every day every night and i'm living with him temporarily while my mom is moving to another city at the time and i hated the goo goo doll so much i hated the cd i never wanted to hear it again i was i was i was waking him up playing bare naked ladies one week just to aggravate him because he hates that song to this day However, there was one song on that CD that I liked, and I secretly played it when he wasn't around. And now I own their entire discography, and I know more about the Goo Goo Dolls than he does. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me, but hey, awesome. where are we? So we're at the music. scene. 
<laughs> we're at the scene where the diviner tells uh gwyn that they that he's installed a weapon onto the proto star that can wipe all of starfleet from existence right and uh she just goes what did you do to this ship right like what did you put on here and then we cut back to the rev 12 so and uh quick quick just cut there um what could he have put on protostar we don't have to answer the question but the question is really is what could he have put on protostar that they didn't already discover in going through all the code that they went through i'm wondering wait 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 do we know do y'all remember the the Janeway's corrupted memory garbage stuff that that they still so they didn't unlock them. everything in the computer core, but they unlocked everything that was in Janeway's memories, right? So there's mm -hmm. probably more stuff in the computers that are just not related to the Janeway that's also still there. I'm of the opinion that this is a computer virus of some kind, right? Some yeah. sort of worm or thing that Same. will just corrupt computers and disable friend or foe like sensor systems, right? So everything reads as a foe or something like that. Um, it's not unrealistic. It's something that's been used in the real world in the past. So yeah, that seems like a pretty effective tool for the Diviner to do, especially because he's shown and his people have shown that they're very good at computer programming stuff. And this is why Battlestar Galactica had all their ships be hardlined. Well, they had them all hardlined <laughs> and uh, firewalled until they didn't. Right, and then that's when that's when the fire. That's when the show attacked. starts. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. I mean, I think that um, it's. Well, I think it is a computer virus for sure. I, I just, I don't think that they're going to go the control route. I don't think that it's going to be the same kind of AI against, you know, no. I don't think it's going to be anything like that. But my question would be, how on earth could you design a computer virus strong enough to wipe out Starfleet? How on earth could you manage to trick? I mean, is it going to take control of the ships entirely? And then all of the people on the ship are just like, I didn't touch it. I didn't do shit. I don't and know. Like, you know I, I, my I just... brain is like saying that you would have to wrap it like a Trojan. It would have to signal a friendly update to Starfleet. Be like, this is Elkar's version 8.8. .8. And then, you know, every, whoever's responsible for that on the ship is like, all right, confirm command codes. And that yeah. that's where I would be like, wait, these command codes don't confirm. We're not getting a patch. We made a few bug fixes, so it runs smoother. Yes. Here's how I was thinking of it, right? It's something that tags along to every single communications, right? So it's like an email signature, but it's malicious. And mm. when it gets onto a system, it installs itself and then checks in with everybody else. This is the Starship Demeter checking in as they normally do, or checking in for time synchronicity, right? To prevent time dilation, all ships have to do this. Right, something along that those lines. They all check in. They all talk to each other. They all relay some basic data to each other. Even if it's not a person doing it, it's got to be some low-level comms, and the thing will just spread. And when it takes over a ship, it spaces the crew, open the airlock doors everywhere. Everybody dies, kind of thing. And then the ships themselves can be controlled by it. One thing that would be really interesting is if it was a prefix code exploit. Could be. Just he's had access to the protostar he has to know it exists right so it's a prefix code exploit that your malicious communications uh worm uh taps into the ship systems and then it spaces the crew disables the or sends the prefix code authorizations to all ships in the area with malicious carrier on that communication that says um, do the same thing and fire on any Starfleet ships in range and travel to each other if you're not close enough. 
So then this ship gets it and sends the communications to all of this ships in range. And then they all just converge on each other with no shields and blow each other away. Yep. It would be really Sounds cool terrifying. to see the prefix code just get mentioned again. Because we've only talked about it, what, twice? In Star Trek, ever? There was the Wrath of Khan, and then Sounds there was right. an episode yeah. The of, Wounded. TNG, was, The Wounded. Was it The Wounded? Oh, right. Yeah, that's yeah. when they used the, They shut down the Phoenix's shields remotely. Yep. Yeah, I can't think of any others, honestly. There might be a third, but... All right, so cutting back to the episode, we're on the Rev 12, and uh, they point out that the proto drive is ready to engage, and they are talking about how they weaken the shield, but only enough for one person to beam in. And that so, one person is our uh, beleaguered captain figure. Yep. I did actually like uh, something in the scene, although it's a very short scene. When he's running towards the, the transporters at the back of the room, he has to go down these stairs. And the character doesn't just, like, bound down the stairs. He's not, like, leaping off them, doing anything heroic. He just, like, slows down and goes, one, two, three, four, five, six, like, going down the stairs step by step uh, because there's no guardrail or anything. It's just good detail work from the from the animators to do it. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. That's a good catch. Uh, but, yeah, so Dal runs off. Uh, he's asked if he has a plan or what's his plan. Uh, he responds with, I'll let you know when I think of it. Yep. Yep. I I don't know why. Every time I see Dal, I still think Talaxian, even with the prehensile rat tail. I don't disagree. I don't disagree at all. Um, maybe that's something that falls off when they hit puberty. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe Neelix just yeah. had his removed for unknown reasons. Or maybe it was removed by the Hakonian Order or somebody who like had him prisoner for a long time, remember? Oh, shh. That's true. Yep. Okay, so cut back to the holodeck, and they're walking through the destroyed city on Solum, uh, and the Diviners explaining the whole thing. When the Federation was with us, they they sparked a civil war. Now when they talk to the Protostar, it'll corrupt their systems, and their ships will be turned against each other, and it will spark a civil war there. Their, sh their alliance will be reduced to ashes. And uh, this is when Gwyn comes to the realization that they can never take the protostar home because it will destroy the federation uh and that seems like a very sobering moment for her as a character yeah because i think she de so desperately wants to start over not only get away from her father and get away from what she thought she knew but to learn something different to 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 be a part of something different and to do some good because i mean she basically sat there for 17 years and watched all of these children be abused and well not just children but you know watched all of these people be enslaved under her father and 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 it and it has finally clicked for her and she wants to do good and the federation is this this beacon of light for her and you know Janeway of course has been mentoring her heavily and I I really love the scenes that we get with Gwen and Janeway, um, especially with the upgrade, like nice upgrade type of thing. And and it does really seem like Janeway is in a way of sort of a, a female, like a, a, a female, like a mother figure to her. Um, and I, I really like to see that, but I mean, she, she's realizing all of these things that she could be. And then her father tells her, ha, nope, basically <laughs> like you can't, you, if, you know, if this happens, if you go home or if you take the protostar home, like they're done so you know i think it's a very a very terrible moment for her because she realizes well you know 
if I want to do good, I can't do what I want to do. I have to make the hard decision. And, you know, and that's, I, I think that's probably really lonely for her. Yeah, so this is also an interesting reveal, like mask off kind of moment for the Diviner too, right? Because he knows that the ship is going to do this. It doesn't require a person to do anything. It's just as soon as it talks to a Starfleet ship, this process will start, right? Okay, the kids ran off with a protostar. They might go to the Federation with it. He was chasing them. He knew that that was a possibility. That would have achieved his goals, but it's not good enough for him. He wants to be the one to do it. He has to do it. So whatever he may be saying about like, this is like a, not about revenge or not about vengeance. It's about like make like justice or anything kind of like the justified or self-righteous bullshit. It's not because the ship would have gone to the Federation with the kids. He has to do it himself. He wants to be the one to do it. So it's definitely like base. Uh, he wants revenge kind of stuff. And he also knows where Solom, I mean, because, I mean, obviously it's not in any Federation database. Right. And so he knows where it is. And so maybe he has this secondary thing. It's like, okay, Starfleet's done. Gotta go home. You know, that could be it too. And so, you know, Gwen doesn't know. Nobody in the Federation knows. So it's not going to be on their star maps. It's not going to be on any of their, any of that. So oh, not only does thing he I want to even be there of. for the destruction, but I mean, it's, I mean, this is a way for him to get home. And it does have that proto drive. So not only could it destroy the Federation, but it can, or not the Federation, but the, but Starfleet at least, and but it can get him home faster. And you so know, you I just, just brought up something that I hadn't even thought about, right? With the ending of the episode, with the memory shenanigans that occur, no one knows where Solom is again, except maybe that memory chip has it in it when it was inserted into the computer. Maybe it's stored there. They never took it out. But yeah, no. And and can you not replay? like holodeck yeah. things that happened if they're so, in the cache like, yeah if that was recorded which i'm assuming it it would have been i mean i don't know why it wouldn't have been um there's gonna be some point i think where gwen because and we'll get to get later but i think there's gonna be some point where gwen maybe remembers something and kind of goes wait let's re let's replay that Let's rewind, you know, and I, I think I think that's going to come back. I think that chip is going to be important or or they're going to find it in the system and go, oh, what's this? And then, you know, replay, you know, well, worst case scenario, you can reconstruct the location of a system or a planet based on everything you see in orbit or like if you see the night sky. Right. And we know that this recording showed the night sky because we saw the cool streaky bits of it. Right. So mm -hmm. if you have this solemn recording, you can chart what you see in the sky. And from that, you can find a planet. Right. So and they we can know totally that find is good it if they have it. Yeah. So you want to know one thing that just dawned on me? Like I just became cognizant. Gwen has eyebrows and the diviner does not. Maybe and, he's like Whoopi Goldberg and shaved them off too many times. Well, yeah. Okay. But like, how does he even know who Whoopi Goldberg is? It's like, it's like who Whoopi 400 is. years in the future. <laughs> I know Whoopi Goldberg from Jumpin' Jack Flash. And if you haven't seen Jumpin' Jack Flash, the movie from like the 1980s, Highly recommend her and Sister Steven... Act here. Okay. Sister Act is okay. my first early, early nights. Also, fun fact about Sister Act: way off the, the the filter there, but the young woman who plays her younger self in Sister Act is the same actress who played her younger young Guinan in Rascals. So. Oh. Oh, really? Did yeah. I know that. Cool. Yep. And that young woman is now in her mid thirties. I'm sure now too. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, that was just we'll my catch. thing. But that's that is a good that was a good uh, observation there, Suzanne. Well done. All right, so this this moment of like we can never go home is very serious for 
Gwyn, uh, it's it's when she yells out this whole, you can't trade one tragedy for another. We need to talk to Starfleet, not destroy them. Very good, both points. Uh, and that's when the proto drive comes back online and the computer starts like announcing things again. Right. Notably, the Diviner's uh, liquids in his suit have been fixed and he seems much healthier now and he starts like time to time to go home. And uh, he brings up the arch for the holodeck and Dal steps out of it dual wielding like type two phasers and immediately gets taken out by more of the animate matter from the diviner suit. Yeah. He Didn't tried. even get a shot off. Didn't even get a shot off. He tried. <laughs> I mean, the diviner had one. One. He shot a shot, and and it worked. And I think that's because Dahl is a kid and still wouldn't shoot somebody with the intent that he had. I, I don't know what his intent was, but I, I think Dahl still hasn't had enough of a experience there to do that. He he lived through this, which is fortunate. The Diviner didn't just stab him five times and, and have that be how this episode ended. That's true. Because <laughs> that would have yeah. been like, I'm turning this off and never going back moment for a lot of viewers. Yeah. And I think that I think that Dal is, is still very sort of save the day. Like, I mean, he's a kid. And so he's like, cool, I beamed on the ship. I've got phasers, let's go, you know, and, and doesn't realize that like this guy enslaved a whole lot of people for a long time. And if you think you're gonna walk in there and go, I'm here to put you in the brig. Like, okay, sir, <laughs> good luck. Yeah. And it's just, it, it, it. I like that they can grow and they can learn and they can be mature, but they're still kids. They still, are trying to be the hero and and don't aren't really aware of a hand-to-hand -hand combat because we saw that with dreadnought and rock and uh Jankum, but just you know they don't they're still ignorant they're still children so you know yep so we do see this cool moment where after uh dal is encircled by the animate matter from the diviner suit um gwyn tries to swing at him and turns her Vaunicott bracelet thing into what looks like brass knuckles around her around her fist. It's kind of neat. Uh, if you're looking for the picture, Dag, it is... Oh, I, I'm featuring it. You found it? Okay, yeah, yeah. it's number 298, which is neat. Yeah. But yeah, so she swings at him, he grabs her fist and, like, throws her, because, again, the kids are not good at, at combat at all, yet. And then we get the reveal that, oh, it's not just the three of them on this holodeck. There's also Zero, who's also beamed in. And uh, Zero sounds very uncharacteristically furious. Zero is pissed. He's yeah. not happy. Uh, I mean, this is the first time that he has has confronted the Diviner since they leaving. left, yes? Yeah. And so this is the first time that he is able to, I mean, since he was weaponized, or excuse me, they were weaponized. So they, I mean, they're obviously furious and they have things to say and they're not gonna be perfect at this moment. They're not gonna be, you know, perfectly rational all the time in their thoughts and everything. And so I think that they just lose it. And it's understandable because of what the diviner did, but I think it's I think it's interesting that we get to see a, a very because zero of of the group is sort of the the collected the you know calm 
sort of flighty, rational one. but rational one of the group. And I think that they, I think that they have a lot of trouble maintaining that here. And it's, it's, it's interesting to get a very raw moment from them. Yeah, and we, we they literally say that, right? I will show you who I truly am, oh, right? Yeah. Which is a kind of a chilling line when coming from a, a Medusan. So, yeah, so uh, Zero reveals themselves, takes off their Zero suit, and it's like a glowing sun of blue energy, essentially. And the Diviner is caught straight in it, looking right at it, and his eyes go wide, his arms go limp, and he just stands there staring. Meanwhile, uh, Dal is trying to keep Gwyn from looking at it at all, grabs her face, like pulls her in, like, look at me, look at me, don't look at it, right? So what I find interesting here is that it looks like this was some kind of plan at some point, right? Like, use Zero's innate abilities as a weapon. But I don't think Gwyn must have caught that because uh, she almost looked at the at the actual looked at zero, right? Had to be grabbed by Dal. So that must have been like one of those last minute things that they thought of while they were on the Rev Twelve. I'll counter that with Dal beamed over. At least that's what it looks like. Dal beams over from the Rev Twelve to where he is with two phasers. Like I don't know where the phasers mm -hmm. came from really, but he ended up in the holodeck. Um. Gwyn, Gwyn's not looking, trying not to look at, at, at Zero. Gwyn's still concerned about her dad. She doesn't know what's going to uh. happen. She's looking to see if he's going to be okay. Dal somehow knows that looking at a Medusan is, is a sentence of some kind and keeps her eyes on him as best as he can. What I don't understand is why don't you just say, close your eyes. Close your eyes, wait for it to be over. Because because it had because it had to be a plot point, but but yes, <laughs> but I, I mean I agree with yeah. you, Aaron. <laughs> I mean, as I like I, I understand yes yes ideally close your eyes, um, but but it but but she can't know about the you know the season has to progress. However, um, I really like because yeah close your eyes uh, would have been ideal. Would have been great, um, but I like that they include the reflection bit because um, it's you know the basilisk and Harry Potter and other mythology you know the person that Hermione sees it in the mirror um, and is only petrified, if that makes sense. Um, and so I like that they include that little bit into it that you know she didn't look directly at him or they them but through the, even just the reflection like goes into a, a loop of saying over and over we can't go we can't go we can't go so I mean I even just going all the way no back to the original story right like the original Medusa story was uh, it was a Gorgon that if you looked at it it was so hideous it would turn you to stone right same thing as the Basilisk in Harry Potter that's like the oldest version of the story uh, but the Greek hero Perseus is the one who uses a reflective shield to turn it to stone by because it looks at its own reflection, right? So it's definitely following up on the tropes. It's it's a good use of them because it makes sense, uh, especially mm -hmm. for little kids or younger audience members who haven't read, you know, ancient Greek mythology. So yep. 
and it's I good. like that they spell it out and it's it's in part of the log eventually and and um yeah the log itself was great too all right so explaining further uh Gwyn sees the reflection on on Dell's com badge he grabs his com badge and throws it away but it was too late her eyes had already gone wide and she was uh mumbling speaking almost nonsense saying we can never go we can't go cannot go etc uh which was hopefully her trying to get across the message that they can't go to the federation um right uh and zero comes back over showing a shit ton of remorse of like i didn't know gwyn was looking i didn't mean it for it to touch gwyn i can't oh my god how could this have happened essentially um which makes sense because yep. they clearly care a lot for gwyn that I was like... one of the moments i liked about it um sorry you no please go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> um but I mean, that's one of the moments that I liked is that I I don't know if it was necessarily a plan for them to use Zero as a weapon, but I think Zero knew that at this point, you know, if I beam over, God do something. And the Diviner used me for years. I'm going to fix, I'm going to finish this. I'm going to fix the problem. And um, I think that they are, again, so upset and so... You know they, they think that they can face him and then when they do they just are furious they're angry they're upset they're traumatized they're probably reliving it and they're they're scared and they just explode because if in the first few um scenes that we ever get of zero specifically they're in like a box and the box is opened and they it turns people mad etc but in that box, you don't see Zero get giant like they did um, in this episode. And I think that Zero is Zero is pissed, and Zero just gets huge all of a sudden. Um, and I think that that's... I think that he is so over-emotional and so not rationally thinking at this point. I think that they're so caught up in in being angry that that's why, you know they break down at the end going over to Gwyn it's almost like they weren't there even and then they come out of it and go oh god oh shit and they have to go and you know well and one cool thing that that sets up is an arc for Zero so far Zero has been the calm cool collected kind of know-it-all or at least knows more about what's going on than the rest of the crew and mm -hmm. has helped facilitate and has also broken that that fourth wall a couple of times to tell the audience you know oh look at you you learned how to do this oh look at us we learned how to function as a team even though we were separated by time and now what we get to see is the physical manifestation of a trauma arc reaching a crescendo where zero blows up and now there's collateral damage and and zero is going to have to learn how to control that in the future the next time this happens you can't do that you can be angry but you can't be violent and sometimes you have to learn the hard way and this is zero's hard way or they need to replicate those glasses that uh the doctor wore in the original <laughs> medusa zep right just like the... just wear those red spy glasses wow. all the time yeah no we absolutely good. we good can we put some blue on there for the 3d effect <laughs> boom um, yeah, that could definitely help. At least it helped with uh, Miranda and Spock's um, physiology. 
Um, well, we've never really seen... The cool thing is, is we've never seen a Medusa before, so there's free reign. You know, we, yeah, sure. Yeah, we, we saw the one in Truth There Was No Beauty, or Is There in Truth No Beauty uh, in TOS, but that was 50 years ago. We've never seen one since. There's all kinds of space for some creative fun there. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and I really... Um, I think that not only um, does Zero blow up, I think that they are learning that they don't have the luxury of getting angry. They don't have the luxury of being violent because if something goes even moderately wrong, even mildly wrong, they, their whole crew is gone. And they are essentially on their own at that point. I think that, that that's a really important thing for Zero to learn is that you have to be as cool and collected as you can. It might suck. But, you know, if if they were to be violent, it's catastrophic. It's not just a little bit of collateral damage. It's not just, you know, you lose an officer it, or, you know, or something like that. It's not little. It's never little. It's always going to be just calamity. And you can't do that. So I think that's a really important thing that Zero is going to have to going to have to learn. The Diviner said he used Zero or Zero said the Diviner used Zero as a weapon. We have something hidden on protostar that could supposedly cause people to fight each other forgetting who you are i don't know he, i'm wildly speculating computer here. thing no i had the I'm, same thought to I'm be wildly clear, speculating right? maybe he found a way to utilize the same kind of madness that the medusan triggers on the computer systems of ships right something like that maybe but I don't know. Maybe it's, he recorded it's it. time for speculation. Maybe he recorded this happening on video, played it back for some people who went, who lost their memories and started fighting each other, and realized that you could play it back in recording, and it doesn't kill people. It doesn't completely, you know, do a, a reboot on them. Maybe it just makes them fight each other, and you don't even need to worry about a prefix code issue. It just makes people fight each other because they don't know who they are. But that's misunderstanding Starfleet because you have to be violent at heart to act like that. Remember when everybody on the Enterprise forgot who they were and Kieran McDuff was like, we have to fight, we have to destroy everything. And Picard, even without his full memory restored, was like, this is way too easy. We're not doing this. Mm -hmm. That's underestimating Starfleet right there. I would love to see this show go like, all right, we've deployed the evil weapon. And nothing happened. And six weeks later, after a med medical bay treatment, we got everybody back to normal, and it was fine. <laughs> it's almost like the Diviner is assuming that it will take the same amount of contact that it did. It will take the same amount of contact to destroy Starfleet as it did the Vaunacot, if that makes any sense. Because, I mean, all they did was say, hey, you know, <laughs> basically, all Starfleet did was, hi hello and they had a moment we and then exist. bye and then Zonicot and like I, I feel that that I the diviner is yeah I, that's a really good point that that he is completely underestimating Starfleet um, because a, you know no go ahead 
No, I'm I'm done. <laughs> You're good. Okay. I was just gonna say there's a really neat episode of the Orville that touches upon this same exact theme. So there's an episode where they have first contact with a race uh, that has never found other life before, and they're looking for life. They're sending out transmissions to try and be found, but they make first contact, and uh, we find out that they're a, a race obsessed with essentially astrology, right? So if you're born under a certain sign of the zodiac, you are essentially a slave for life. You will spend your life in prison, right? And when they go to that planet, it happens to be during that month, and somebody mentions that, well, it's my birthday today and they're grabbed and thrown in prison essentially uh and they have to navigate the testy waters of like well do we tell them that their religion is bullshit or do we just rescue our people how do we get out of this without offending more and so forth and so on it's a great episode uh yeah it's one of the best things that orville did in the second season too in my opinion i really need to catch up on that show i got through the first season but then i just don't think i had access to whatever it was playing on yeah, the name of the episode is All the World is a Birthday Cake. Okay. It's a very Trekish name, too. Yeah, yeah, very much so. <laughs> right on. All right, uh, so uh, finishing up just this scene, uh, the the hallway doors open and in runs Rock and Jankum and Hologram Janeway, who has been unfrozen. And uh, Dal is there cradling uh, Gwyn, who just keeps saying, we can't go, yeah. we can't go, we can't go. Yeah. I also like that Zero was immediately apologetic and didn't didn't come off like, well, he deserved it! And, you know, just was very much like, oh my, what have I done? Mm-hmm. Yep. Which I fits the personality that we've seen. Oh, sorry? Yeah. I don't think that they went in with that goal. I don't. I, I think that they went in hoping to disable the diviner and i think that they just lost it if you will zero in an attempt to uh get revenge for uh the diviner making them turn people mad went mad in a sense um and i don't think that they had any intention of i don't think they had any intention of doing anything other than just trying to disable the diviner and get the crew back on the ship and go but yeah no that tracks hmm. all right so here ends the regular episode now we go into like a training log this is kind of like compressed bits of story that are being just narrated by the janeway hologram which is nice it feels almost like a season finale rather than a mid-season finale true uh so we get this cool scene with the cation uh child with the crew that they have for the rev 12 standing around a comm badge talking to each other so it's nice that they're transforming the rev 12 from a tr symbol of captivity to a vehicle for liberation they're going to learn to fly it it's going to be challenging for them and you get this really pretty scene of it flying over some ring planet uh and just kind of like coasting that was very voyager-esque to me that was very With voyager opening i just i don't know maybe i'm a nerd but you know it was nice mm. So then we cut to what they've done with uh, the Diviner, and he's been dropped off on Tars Lamora, uh, alone, crazy, and he seems to be carving some kind of symbol into the ground. Did you see this as a familiar symbol, Dagger? Yeah, it looks like the UFP logo. Yep. Which is endlessly yeah. creepy. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yep. But also, good riddance. Mm-hmm. 
Chef's kiss. Even in his madness, he still hates them. Like it's... I will miss John Noble, though. I will miss. Well, I mean, it could be it could cool. be two things. It could. I mean, yeah, it does look a little bit like the the UFP logo. The only um, the only difference here is that the scallops around the side are flowing into each other and not away from each other. Um, but it could also be the last thing he remembers seeing, which is a Medusa explode in the sky. Yeah, that's fair. I thought it was the UFP symbol. I thought it was like his, with my last dying breath, I stab at the kind of thing. Like, it's just his hatred, and he's just writing it. It's the only thing he can think of. Works. It really does. He's also just crazy. So. True. I mean, at how this is, point, he's, like, not even... How is he living know? without his life support tech? Probably not for long. <laughs> um, well, I, I'm, I'm thinking... Yeah. That, I mean, he's crawling on the ground. Um, I'm, I'm thinking he's probably pretty, you know... He, he'll... He'll he just he just runs you on said liquid. About losing John Noble, maybe he'll come back. Yeah, that would be That's cool. That's true. That's true. I just I yeah. I mean, we we have <laughs> to. He's a cool character. We have to tie up the loose end of what happens when Renzo's background resolves. Anyways, so finishing up this though, uh, yeah. So they left the the diviner alone on the planet, and he's just there. I don't know, maybe Vaunicott physiology can overcome Medusa madness after some time. Maybe if he activates his blue lines of energy around his face, it like resets his brain or something. We don't know yet. Maybe we'll find out. If he even knows he uh, can do that. Yeah, who knows? Maybe uh, maybe he'll accidentally trigger it when threatened by like a rock slide or something. We don't know. But they did take off his armor, which means that all that like animate matter tech that he's got built into it is left on the protostar hopefully Maybe. something that gwyn can learn to use yep yeah and I'm speaking a, of gwyn here we cut to her scenes where they're looking at her uh with zero who hasn't left her side uh just nursing her back to health they're doing some treatments uh, and they realize that thankfully she just saw the reflection so you can survive that the only thing she lost was her memories of the event which is hugely significant because of what we know, but to them, they're just thankful that their friend is okay. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I love, I love Zero. I just want to say, I love them. They, I mean, they, they make this one mistake. I mean, it's a pretty big mistake, don't get me wrong, but they make this one mistake and do not leave Gwen. They do not leave her. They stay, they fix it. They fix the the problem that they caused and 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 really seemingly without too much help uh they just are they i mean obviously they're gonna know more about medusan stuff than anybody else is going to but they just they don't leave and it's very sweet and i i i really like zero yeah i mean hopefully the federation database had some information too because you know they've been in contact with the federation since like the early 23rd century mm -hmm. so like hopefully this isn't the first time something like this has happened there is some treatment information uh, but when Gwyn comes to the bridge, Zero is just as surprised and happy as everybody else. Arms up in the air, excitement kind of moment for everyone, which was great. Uh, yep. Why? Get... Why is Rock Talk studying Krill? Uh, she's trying to expand her diet. Doesn't just want to eat Nutri-Group anymore. Mm, I love her. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. Oh, I love rock talk. So I, she's going with sea fish, which is like shell goop, rocky goop. All right, it's fine. 
justice a, for justice for rock it's just a great way. moment there of, of her trying to study and murph going back to normal yep you just know. eating the pad out from just, her hand yeah. chaotic yeah. neutral gel <sighs> cool so the the thing ends with like janeway hologram just saying that like that they are essentially a, a, a crew full of prodigies and they don't even realize just how impressive they all are they have such great potential they all that they've learned and they've gotten so much stronger but they've got so much more to go right it's super positive and supportive it's delightful um yeah i really liked the ending narration there yeah it was good lovely. Stuff. i'm so glad i am so glad that we have Jane way back and that we have Kate McGrew back doing a kid's show and and do and because that that ending monologue is just ah just lovely and I'm just I'm so glad I'm just, I, every episode of the show to me has been absolutely wonderful I just knocked it out of the park I love it um and, and it just, feels so much like a season yeah. finale doesn't it it really does it does and I I don't I'm wondering how they're gonna set up the second half a second half i feel like there's going to be i mean there's going to be some sort of shift i think in the at the end of season one because clearly there's like a part one and a part two two chapter one and then chapter two part one part two it's you know but it, it includes a coffee cup yeah big old coffee it does indeed it does so last little thing that happens in this scene before we cut to the 30 seconds of teasing delight at the end uh we get this moment where uh, Dallas asked where to go, like wh where to set their course to. And he goes, it's time to re return their ship. And uh, Gwyn shows a moment of like serious concern and people stop and go like, is everything okay, Gwyn? But the memory is missing, but the emotional reaction was correct, right? So mm -hmm. maybe with treatment, maybe eventually those memories can be recovered. But at the moment, she she definitely expresses some concern about like set a course for Starfleet. That's why I think that, that, that Gwyn's memories or lack thereof are going to become more important um, in the second half of the season. I think that she is going to remember either the holodeck program that happened or just any, any snippet of something that her father said, or she's going to go back through all of those weird encrypted files and stuff and, and, and learn more about it. Yeah, I, yeah that, that's, that is good because clearly it's not all gone. Yeah. Some of it but is still there, just fragmented. Well, let's not forget, right? Dal and Zero, both, all of them actually went into the same holo program, so they know it's there, right? Like, it's not like a surprise, oh, there was a holo program that people, were... no, 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 we went into it, so mm -hmm. now let's figure out what it was, why they were there in that program, too. Yeah. So I'm sure that they'll do some of that, like, post-mortem after the fact. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, right. that's our, that's our gasp moment, oh, no, and then we have an epilogue. Then we have a great little epilogue, which starts with a Trill officer noticing that there's a third time that proto-warp drive uh, has been used in a certain region. And uh, they report it to their CO, uh, who goes, twice is a coincidence, three times, there's something there. So we get this beautiful reveal of a coffee mug that's just like the one right behind me, and we get Admiral Janeway standing on the bridge of a starship with a very diverse Federation crew uh, traveling to get to the protostar at maximum warp because they're coming for Chakotay. Yep. These uniforms awesome. 
so the com badges they have are the Picard 2399s. The show takes place in 2383, so there's a com badge adoption happening at some point shortly after Lower Decks. Um, but we've seen so many. No, you're you're not wrong. Time. You're not wrong. We have, we have. But I was I wanted. But the point that I was getting to is that these uniforms have the flat open, very much like the lower decks, kind of a thing. Uh, and the rank pips are now on the shoulder here, which also leads us into Picard. Uh, not all of them though. No, Look no, at the Andorian the, behind Janeway still well, has them on the neck. The 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 the. The Trill, the Andorian, they have them on the neck. Uh, Janeways are on the shoulder. And that um, could be, could that be an admiral thing? It could I be. I think so. It could be. It's just an interesting thing. I like the idea that this is a, uh, that there's a rollout of this kind of, you know, protocol for uniform stuff happening in different places in Starfleet at different times, because that's just operational logistics right there. Um yeah, I I'm like with that. you. We've seen we've seen that a bunch of times, right? Like in Deep Space Nine, there was a period where they had their unique uniforms. Then the uh, USS, the one that the Galaxy Class that gets blown up by the Dominion at the first time, uh, the Challenger. No, Odyssey. What is it? Odyssey. That's what it is. The USS Odyssey shows up, and they have the TNG style uniforms too. Right. Right. So you've got the two uniforms side by side at the same time. Uh, yeah. So I, I would be surprised if there's a lot of like different waves of uniforms being used on different ships and different fleets at the same time and no one gives a damn yeah well, same right, thing with lower I, decks yeah. right lower decks the cerritos has the one uniform and then they go to the titan and it's completely different and it also might have to do i mean because any sort of military institution is going to have multiple different uniforms across multiple different you know for example like a science vessel may have different uniforms than an exploration vessel in general it might have different you know connotations different different places so the, i think i think it's perfectly normal to assume that like not every single uniform is the same across all of the ships because it's a huge fleet um and there's a lot of different officers with different roles a lot of different ships that do different things so yeah that that, that makes sense to me i also think we saw similar uniforms these uniforms um with uh captain crusher am i wrong the pastor captain crusher Yes, I think I, I saw I saw an image compilation of it on Twitter, and I, I can't think of it now. We also saw a similar com badge with um, in Voyager's Timeless with Captain yeah. LaForge. Yeah, yeah, and in All Good yeah. Things, right? Like that's the same. So the yeah. it's not, and I'm just going to point it out. the The All Good Things badge is not the same badge used in Picard. There are slight differences, but just as a com badge aficionado, there are differences. <laughs> um, point being that. Um, this one, actually, the one that we see here is the All Good Things badge. You can tell because the protrusions come out the top. Now that I look at it again, in Picard 2399, those little sidebars, they don't protrude over the top. They align with the delta. That's oh. why it looked weird to me. Okay, yeah. I was wondering if I was crazy because I knew that I knew that something was slightly different. But yeah. they're similar. They're just okay. So it comes over the top instead of just following the. Okay. Right. So these these are the all good things badges. Sweet. My bad from earlier, um, but there is a distinction that the the keen eye mandates. I appreciate you explaining. 
Um, so then we come to our last revelation of the episode. Oh, before the you ship. say it, before you oh, say it, no. I just need to know how did you squeal? Did oh, you, several did you times. Geek out? Yeah, yeah, I did. Absolutely. Tell us. So I was freaking out when I realized. So in the scene where the Trill officer is reporting that they found the third ping or whatever, the panels on the back. I was oh, like, Oh yeah, this is the Dauntless. Yep, this I, is the Dauntless. I was right yeah. there. Yeah. I was right there. I was going. I've seen uh, this before. <laughs> yep. And then the bridge itself looked much more Starfleet than the Dauntlesses. Like it actually had comfortable chairs. It didn't have like bar stools like the Dauntless yep. did. Yep. But I was in. Then they showed the outside of it and. It was it for me. Yep. I was so freaking out. Uh, it is a different design than the actual Dauntless that our tourist used as his bait ship, but it is very similar. It was clearly influenced by it. It has an actual shuttle bay, which is a nice upgrade because our tourists did not. Yep. It's a very small looking shuttle bay, but it has one. It's got a secondary um, yeah. hull that looks really utilitarian. Mm -hmm. It's less sleek looking than our tourist's ship. Um, and from revelations from the production crew, it does have quantum slipstream. It is just a more limited form of quantum slipstream than the original ship, and it's still a test ship. So, cool. So, I don't know if you're if you're done. There's just a thing that's kind of eaten at me with the whole time travel thing going on. I don't know if Protostar has been built yet by this time at the end of this episode. I don't think it has. And I think these weird sig signals that are coming up on the Trill's dash there are worthy of exploration because it means something to Janeway. Maybe it's like test bed tech that shouldn't exist yet. But that's where I'm thinking is that the protostar drive is how quantum slipstream gets stabilized. And that's I what can't disagree using. with you more. I can't. Yeah, okay, do it. Because doesn't no, she say I'm that okay. she's going for Chakotay specifically and also exactly. Chakotay captained the ship? I don't think she said Chakotay captained the ship, but she does say Protostar is back on the board and then she's looking for Chakotay. So we can assume that they're like linked, right? My biggest thing though is actually the registry number on these. The registry number on the Dauntless is dramatic, is sub substantially right. higher than on the Protostar, mm -hmm. right? So that means right. it's built after. Dang it. So I want my time travel newer, Oh, there's definitely time travel shenanigans. <laughs> oh, there will be. Here's, yeah. here's the two time travel shenanigans that I think are here, okay? I think, one, the Diviner traveled back in time from somewhere around like 50 or 60 years into the future. Uh, and at essentially current day or like a f maybe a little bit before, he encounters uh, Chakotay because he's there having left Federation area. He's exploring the Delta Quadrant. Uh, he tries to take the ship and then in some way that ship is then thrown 17 years further back into the past. That 17 years further is how he lost the ship and had to spend 17 years trying to find it. That's my two time jumps. The Diviner has to live through both of those. He has to live through the 17 years where he's looking for it, and then he's got 50 more years that he'd have to do before he caught back up to his original timeline. But yeah, I think that there's two time jumps both backwards in this show. Okay. I tend to, I'll agree with that only because if I think about it more, my head will explode. I, I hate temporal mechanics. Blah, I hate blah, blah. it. I hate it with everything that I am. I hate it. It's cool, but I, I need someone else to, you know, just, I'll wait. <laughs> but like, I, I think that, I think Chichikote is stuck somewhere he's not supposed to, to be stuck. I don't know where it would be. I don't know whether it would be like somehow in the future, somehow in the past. I don't know because they haven't found him. You do, you'd think that at some point, 
he maybe is, he's in a know. pattern buffer in the vehicle replicator somewhere. Yeah, Genesis planet. Um, but like, I think that, I think that, um, what was I going to say? I can't remember now. But I mean, yeah, I mean, clearly gone. The hell. Um, and he's not dead because it's a kid show. So, like, I, I, I don't know. But I, yeah, I tend to agree with the the, the weird double time jump thing. Um, and I also want to mention something that happened in a different episode where Dreadnought is talking to the Diviner and the Diviner is talking about creating a progeny, whatever and Dreadnought says many have tried before and failed to find the ship That's a that seems mm -hmm. like a lot of time I feel like, I, I, I almost feel like and then that whole thing about it's against the order and, and whatnot, but, um, you know, timey-wimey crap. But <laughs> I, I think I, I think there may be almost even more time jump craziness than we think that there is, if that makes sense, because the whole many have tried and failed. Now, that could just be that he's, you know, they've sent back a bunch of people a bunch of different times. That could be the case, and then this is, you know, but but then... as. It's wild to me. It's wild. It's yeah, I think that that's a fair assumption. Uh, I think that latter assumption is the one I would go with, that he's not the only agent that has been sent back to try and prevent the apocalypse of their race. All the others have failed. He's just come up with this whole, like, well, let's destroy Starfleet plan. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's why Dreadnought is kind of cynical about it. What I think is actually interesting about that conversation was the fact that Dreadnought has memories of these other ones, or Dreadnought knows about these other ones, too. So does Dreadnought have, like, a constant nightly backup that he sends back home somewhere? To Solom or something? That's what I'm saying. I don't think we've seen the last of that that guy. Neither because I. because you know he he programs himself onto the protostar and then Gwyn airlocks him, and then somehow he's fine, and then his head has a message, and then you know and then he's also fine back with Diviner, and then they decapitate him again. But the thing is, he's been decapitated before, and probably the program is on that ship. So, uh, you know, the, pro the program is still in the vehicle replicator. I mean, the vehicle replicator made him once, and they probably still have... I mean, something... something. Dreadnought you know, is not gone. I we, think Dreadnought is, is more than we... There's more from him than... We had a conversation about how Dreadnought's, uh, Dreadnought's program could have already been in on Protostar, and all they did when they tried to 3D print him the most recent time was send a patch update saying, here's the current agenda and time index. But if the program is already on the Protostar, that means that it was on the Protostar when the code was changed, which means if the code was changed before the time travel event, Dreadnought's program may have gone through a couple of loops. And that could be oh, yeah. some weirdness there. Now, I know yeah. the time timey-wimey hijinks are difficult to follow, but... You know, if Dreadnought has gone forward only to have a backup sent back in time again, you know, overriding the latest backup, it'd be very interesting to see what Dreadnought has had to experience this whole time. Yeah, and we also know that Dreadnought knows more about Chakotay from what we've heard from him than any anybody else, or so we can assume. True um, that. And so I feel like if he were to come back, he probably would have more insight than anybody else into, <laughs> hey, where the hell... <laughs> Where is he? You know, I, I feel like that would that would happen as well. Um, but I yeah, I don't think we've seen the last of the last of him. But I I feel like that gif of the the woman with all the numbers swirling around her head, <laughs> trying to figure out all this all this time stuff. It's too much. But yeah, that's from we'll Homeland, see. I think. Mm -hmm. That's Homeland. Yep, yep. 
Well, overall, I I thought this was a really great tie-up for the the mid mid-season finale. Wonderful. Yep. And I can't wait to see what happens in episode the next episodes when we when we find out they come back. I am. Mm-hmm. I can't wait for somebody to come up with a uh, 3D model for that USS Dauntless, the new one, because I'm gonna 3D print it. Of I don't care if I have to rip are. it out of Star yep. Trek Online. I want yep. one. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Send oh, me yeah. one if you do that. I'd love to have one. Absolutely. Oh. Also, can I just talk about briefly, briefly, briefly? I want to talk about Admiral Janeway because it's my brand and everyone knows that. I, I legitimately, I was watching it with my dad and I got up out of my chair and went oh, oh, out loud at my television. Um, I one of my only things was just like oh yeah i like janeway in the bun but like i kind of missed the bob haircut to check fine cool also here's a gray streak because she's an admiral now you know and chakotay had a gray streak too right like that's yeah. cool as well oh couples matching anyway i'm i'm very happy you're gonna have to I change your so twitter handle from captain janeway to admiral janeway oh, and wait, just, can i do that just have wait. just move the x move the x from from captain to admiral but have it be the second a or hear me out hopefully it's not taken and i can just be admiral janeway and that way i don't have to explain my twitter handle to people anymore i don't have to explain yeah but there's an x in the beginning <laughs> but yeah so we've got admiral janeway on a on a crusade to hunt down chakotay and find him and save him and uh we have no idea where he is i don't even know if that mean we may not even get an intersection between the protostar and the dauntless soon Right, like the Dauntless mm-hmm. probably traveled uh, pretty fast with Quantum Swiftstream, but the Proto Warp is obviously faster. So there's well, but they're going toward some... each other, aren't they? Maybe. Uh, theoretically, maybe. we'll see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. Let's, yeah. Maybe the maybe Federation's the... big. I mean, they could do exactly what they did in the last mid-season was have it take out, you know, seconds after they initiate. Hey, uh, Dahl, we're getting a Starfleet signal. They're looking for Captain Chakotay? <laughs> That's true. That's true. And and I think that there was a, um, an interview uh, with one of the writers where they talked about um, Admiral Janeway being maybe a semi-antagonist to the kids, probably because she shows up and the ship is in the hands of a bunch of aliens that are not her, uh, not her first officer of old. So you know, I could be. I think that probably. I think that would be a really cool twist. Yeah, I think that I think would, that would be, be really an interesting. Awesome twist. Also, can you imagine like Admiral Janeway hailing the ship and other Janeway being like, "Hey, uh, what?" Especially, <laughs> especially if being the encounter turns hostile because of the weapon. Oh yeah, 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 and then they have to then they have to save the day with that, and uh, you know it'd be wild. So let's well, say hypothetically both ships meet up in the same place, right? Uh, Janeway hails the protostar. The protostar responds, triggering the infection against the Dauntless. Right? The Dauntless's computer goes nuts, as we expect that it will do, and it acts as though the ship has been fired on by the other ship. Right? Mm-hmm. At that point, doesn't matter what the kids are saying on the bridge, they just shot at us, start firing back, and so forth and so on, and that's where things break down, right? They don't even get a couple words in as soon as they start talking. And that mm-hmm. exacerbates the problem from that we saw in episode one. People aren't talking to each other, they can't communicate, they can't get along. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Additionally, if we tie in the whole Medusa weapon aspect, Janeway forgets why she's even there. Oh. No. You'll find out next time. 
let her be happy. Here's my thing. And I, one more thing, and I promise I will shut up. If uh, Basically, what this would mean is that they get back, okay, from Delta Quadrant. And they're there, and they're chilling. And she's finally home. She got her people home. And then she loses Chakotay, like, years later. Like, a few years. And now she has to do this shit again. Yeah. Let her be happy. Hey, Dan, <laughs> Bruh. Let her be happy. Like I'm, I'm. It's the I'm it's the inexorable the inexorable plunge of a Starfleet captain. I'm gonna camp captain. outside of CBS. I'm gonna camp outside CBS with an umbrella and a cocktail and a sign that says "Let Janeway be happy" for a month. I just want her to be happy. Make it so. That's it. <laughs> cool. Well, any other comments from you guys? I really enjoyed it, so I'm good. Yeah, this episode was uh, a very nice close to this arc of star trek prodigy i really appreciate it and um i lo really look forward to what's happening with prodigy in the future whenever that gets announced in the meantime next week we get to reconnect with our discovery folk and then there's going to be some overlap at the end of february as we close out discovery and go into picard season two uh, which will ensure some of its own uh, temporal hijinks as the trailer has shown and um, if you're in the audience really appreciate you sticking around we hope you enjoyed the episode just as much as we did if you did or did not comment uh, don't forget to like and subscribe head over to our patreon you can find us on uh, searching google beyond track podcast you can interact with us on twitter at beyond track pod you can hang out with me there at track nexus uh, i think uh I think Suzanne has a handle that might be changing soon, maybe, maybe not. It's either going to be Captain Janeway with an X for the first A, or hopefully it's going to be Admiral Janeway, just spelled out so that I don't have to explain where the X is. It'll be wicked cool. Renzo, as always. Oh. No, just one quick thing. I just saw that uh, uh, Suzanne did find us information on the voice actor for Zero. Uh, it is voice acted by a person named Angus Imri, who... Uh, looks to use male pronouns. Yeah, so. yeah. The yeah. IMDb confirms. Uh, and thanks for looking that up, Suzanne. All those. Yeah, of course, absolutely. I can actually say this all those hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but listen, when we get off, when we have fun with these, we take our time, and this yeah. is a fun episode, so it, it makes fun. sense. It's, we yeah. really there was a lot to break down, and this episode really did a good job of like breaking down character motivations it wasn't just let's narrate what happens and react to that i really like that i really hope that you the audience that you like that and uh you can always uh go boldly with beyond trek podcast for all of your star trek needs hey everybody i just wanted to give a quick shout out to our patreon and anchor supporters big thanks to stephanie baker s tam and marie Jim Cook, and Nora Hickson. We really appreciate your support. Thanks for being a part of Beyond Trek Podcast. We are Beyond Trek Podcast. Lower your inhibitions and surrender your years. We will add inspirational and hilarious Trek content to your day. Your attention will adapt to subscribe to us. Resistance is futile. <laughs>